Hello and welcome to the Conrad Life Report for Tuesday, August the 9th, 2022. It is a very hot day, as um, those of you around here know. <laughs> uh, it is something like a heat index of close to 100. It has been for a few days. Uh, so it's a very, very hot day here by the window in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. Um, it's hot on the other side of the window because I'm inside right now. But I plan on going back outside for a few minutes after this. And, of course, I was out this morning. I went running. And, yeah, I can't can't run that far um, in this weather. Nor should one run that far, um, I think. But, anyway, it is very hot. And I think it's going to get not so hot in a couple of days. Who knows? But, um, yeah, it's August, so it's always hot. But this also feels like... <laughs> has a has a sort of eerie new normal vibe to it all but anyway it's hot uh so it's been 19 let's see august 9th 9 not that long actually only almost three weeks since the last episode but a lot has happened so before i go through kind of like the chronological rundown quickly talk about some new things in the neighborhood i don't know if I mentioned this before, but at the beginning of the summer, this new pizza place opened on Smith Street called Smith Street Pizza, and it is in the old Claudine's, I think it is, but it's on Smith Street between Union and President, uh, like a couple of doors from Smith and Vine, and, you know, it's like opening a new pizza place in this neighborhood is like, all right, um, uh, what what do you want to compete against? Like high level, like F&F? And Baby Luke's or more regular place like Sal's, you know, slice joint like Sal's or Brooklyn Pizza Market, which is kind of in the middle. It's like kind of regular slice joint, but also it's a little bit of a step up, if you ask me, in terms of slice interestingness and quality. And Smith Street is kind of going that middle route with the um, it's kind of like a, has a slice joint vibe, but I feel like the slices are interesting and good. Uh Probably better than Sal's, which I still love, and that's Oliver's kind of favorite. He's now more on a Sal's kick than F and F. I think just because Sal's is closer. But anyway, Smith Street Pizza is quite good, so uh, I guess recom- it's recommended. Although if one were to travel to this neighborhood, I don't know why you wouldn't just go to F and F. But anyway, Smith Street Pizza. Is there any other new place? There's that new place Nabila's that I Nabila's that I'd mentioned which is in the old Wadi and Meg space on Court and Kane. And I still haven't been there, but uh, Drew, my brother-in-law, reports that he's been there twice, and he said it's quite good. So that's like Lebanese um, cuisine. And is there anything else new in the neighborhood? I feel like I'm missing something, but maybe I'm not. I guess that's kind of it. Uh, on the home front, Oliver is uh, in camp. His nest program camp at PS32 is over. And um, he's now just in this, like, kind of, like, camp in the neighborhood. And uh, it's good. He likes it. So we'll do that for another few weeks. And he's taking swim lessons next week, his first ever formal swim lessons. He has actually learned almost how to swim in the past, this summer and last summer. So um, he's not starting from scratch. And he loves swimming. So it took a long time for him, well, for us to push him and for him to be receptive like a basically just like not scared of the idea of swimming but now he's totally into it so next week he'll be swimming at imagine swimming if other people know it 
Um, it seems to be a popular swimming choice in the city. And that's about it. Dog days of uh, summer, August. Okay, last few weeks. Well, I think the last time I recorded an episode, the next day we were going to um, Rhode Island, visiting our friends Jamie and Todd and their son Finn um, at the house in West, their house in Westerly, Rhode Island, which they moved to full-time a few years ago, and they bought and lived in part-time before the pandemic. But with the pandemic, they've moved full-time and are working mostly remotely from their New York jobs. So we went last summer and the summer before, and it's just a nice, fun time. They have a pool, so Oliver got in the pool within about 15 minutes of our arrival, and it was great. He learned to swim even more, and he's been getting confident ducking his head underwater, so big steps for that. Um, So that first day we got to Westerly, I made my solo pilgrimage out to Salem, Connecticut to the Fox Farm Brewery, which if you remember last year, I went to Fox Farm during the same trip to Westerly. And they're a very small brewery that doesn't really distribute purposely like far. Um, I think you can buy them in Connecticut sometimes, but you definitely can't get them in New York, their cans or anything. And, um, Two or three times I have seen them on the tap list at Bar Great Harry, but for the most part, they keep things small. Um, they're kind of on that level of uh, Suarez, Hill Farmstead, um, Treehouse in terms of like how they're sort of received and viewed by the those in the no beer community, <clears throat> which I don't mean me as a beer nerd. I mean like people that actually work in the beer industry. They're kind of seen as this like... Uh, as this like place to watch and again beautiful grounds they're in this barn and then kind of other small farm buildings on this beautiful little hilly and leafy piece of property in salem connecticut which is pretty rural and you drive up this dirt road to get to it and you just kind of park on grass and you go in and it's just the most wonderful place and uh my friend um I eat and did I wreck? Well, yes. Yeah, so my friend Laura and her family went, um, I think recently, a couple of weeks ago. So that was great to see. Uh, yeah, Fox Farm. I wish I got to it more than once a year. Maybe I'll try to go in the winter for some reason. I'll think of a reason to drive out there. So I went to Fox Farm. So that was like, okay, I checked that off my list. That was the big thing I wanted to do in this Rhode Island trip. Um, but the next day was even more fun. We went out on their boat. Our friends have a boat. Um, like a small boat. I don't know how to describe it, but um, a small regular cruising boat uh, where it has kind of an inside, a uh, couple of little tiny tables inside, a little tiny bathroom, and a little tiny kitchen. That sort of size boat. Uh, so we went out to almost the ocean, but just behind the sandbar that separates little Narragansett Bay, not to be confused with the regular Narragansett Bay, which is farther east and much larger, but this is the water that between um, Watch Hill, Rhode Island, the beach there, uh, well, Watch Hill is between this bay and the Atlantic Ocean, so we docked, uh, Jamie's parents were right there also, this was planned, they had their boat and um, dropped anchor, and I went swimming, Jamie went swimming, Uh, you jump out the boat, and the water is like three to four feet deep so just and, it, and it's very warm as opposed to being on the ocean side so 
went swimming in the bay after jumping off a boat. How do you beat that? Um, Oliver did not want to jump in the water despite all of his swimming pool love. Uh, he just wanted to, I think, kind of scared him, and I don't blame him. So we went boating. That was great, too. Uh, and Jamie had on board those little ponies. Uh, that's what we call them in Cincinnati, the little ponies of um, Miller High Life. They're like, what are they, 8-ounce, 7-ounce. They're 7-ounce bottles. Um, so perfect daytime uh, beer just those tiny seven ounce bottles of Miller High Life, which reminds me, I want to go down to the beverage store in Sunset Park. I guess when my friend Eric comes back from Europe, and we'll, I'm going to buy a bunch of those and some of some um, uh, like kind of fruited hard seltzer type things that uh, Julie's actually been into this summer. So anyway, that was the trip to Rhode Island, and we also went stargazing at night because. Um, Todd takes photos of the sky, and so we looked at the sky through his telescope, and it was great. So, great, great trip, um, and it was fun to go running in a new town, even though I've run in that town before, but as I run every day, it's always nice to run in new places, and since it's on, this town westerly is on the Connecticut border, the border is actually at the very center of town, so you get to run in two states <laughs> and across state lines uh, quite easily. So that was the trip to Westerly. Uh, when we came back, Oliver started to feel a little sick, and it turns out that a couple of days later, he tested positive for COVID. But, I mean, it's kind of odd because he barely tested. There was never the, – the the positive line he got was, you know, when you've seen people or if you've experienced it yourself, when you see people post photos of, like, the barely faint line that it's but it's there well oliver's faint line was the faintest i've ever seen um in two and a half years but it was there and he was sick but it, it's it's kind of odd because he was mildly sick before kept testing negative then he, the day he got sicker that faint line appeared the next morning he was still sick but felt a little better in terms of his spirits and negative then later that afternoon, um, the, the faintest line, this one even fainter. And then after that, all negative. And he got better within 36 hours. Julie tested negative all along. I tested negative all along. I think that the three of us tested daily for like two straight weeks. And it was all negative except for those two very faint lines. But So I guess he had it and he was fighting it off. And maybe... Julie had it and was fighting it off and she never tested positive, but she, um, she had symptoms and then I never had symptoms. I felt great this entire time and I was resigned to getting sick and it never happened. So just very interesting and weird. And I feel like there's no longer a accepted, uh, playbook of how these things happen. Like, oh, well, if you got exposed and you're living with it, you're, you're going to get it two days later or something like that. Like... I don't think anything happens according to some sort of timeline anymore, it's, which is frustrating. Uh, but also, I'm glad I didn't get sick. Anyway, that was the big news for a week. So Oliver didn't go to camp, either of his camps. Julie didn't go to the office. I did not go to the office. Um, and I was a little concerned because we had the big family vacation the following week, which is 
last week as of this recording. Um, but this was uh, the family trip to Maine. So thankfully, we all, they all got better uh, a couple of days before the trip. Um, oh, but right bef- right after they got better and right before the trip, I Get Wild played at Littlefield. So that was great. So I'll talk about that for a second. This was our first gig since March because we had postponed our Littlefield and Colony and Woodstock shows in May because of COVID. So we played uh, Littlefield here in Brooklyn on Friday the 29th. And opening for us was Stuart Bogey. Um, now, Stuart Bogey is a great saxophone player, clarinet player, woodwinds player, and he's played on, um, let's see, played with, uh, toured with Arcade Fire, um, played with Hold Steady Records, Craig Finn Records, because our friend Josh Kaufman brings him on to play those, and I don't know, I can't even, like, he's played on a million things, so great dude, and he's a friend of ours, and he had he had half committed to opening this show playing on the bill with us, but he hadn't fully committed. And then if you recall, did I mention this last episode? But I ran into him on the floor at dead and company the night I fainted. Uh, but before I fainted, I ran into Stuart bogey and I quickly said, Hey, uh, are you going to play the show? And he was like, Oh, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, we'll back you up, you know, whatever you want to do, we'll back you up. And he was like, Oh, okay. And I sent a text to my bandmates, uh, outlining the conversation I just had just in case I forgot about it <laughs> and uh, that was that and then later he actually did agree to the show so he, anyway he comes to play the show and he asks us to indeed back him up so at soundcheck what happens is he explains to us that we're going to do an improv set and he's going to conduct us and he spends five minutes or so explaining all of these intricate system of hand signals which are kind of like not uncommon in the progressive avant-garde improv musical circles uh but in fact bob weir when uh when we in the national played with him way back when bob taught us all of these hand signals (laughs) which is kind of funny um and which i haven't forgotten how to display um an e-sharp major to someone i can always signal that although i never would because i'm a drummer but anyway stewart taught us all of these things and then we played about seven minutes worth of improv using the signals in soundcheck and it sounded pretty good and then when the show came and we played in front of the actual crowd it went really well so we played about a 30 minute one 30 minute piece that Stuart conducted us on and played with us on and it was fantastic so i think we're going to try to do more of that kind of thing which also goes along with my personal wish for I get wild to just kind of keep expanding horizons, so to speak, and doing all sorts of things. But anyway, that was a joyous, joyous night. Um, what a night. Oh, and it was, I didn't even know till after the show, but it was nice to see um, Hold Steady guys there. Uh, Joe Russo was there, which was a surprise uh, because he had played in Newport <laughs> that afternoon, I think. But uh, fun night, great night. And then the next morning, Oh, the next morning didn't do anything. Uh, the Sunday is when we left um, for our family trip. But the next day, I just ran errands ahead of our vacation. And I also went out and got uh, some afternoon drinks with uh, my friend Kara. And that was great. And then I kept running the errands. And yeah, and then Sunday morning, went on our family trip. So the impetus for this family trip was, I think my sister and my mom 
were a little like jealous last summer when we went to Maine and they wanted to go to Maine because um, we lived there for when I was a kid. I was born there and my dad grew up there. He grew up there and in Montreal. So, but you know, he has two spots and Maine is kind of maybe the one that looms larger in his life. And he lived there for a lot of time as an adult too. And when my, he and my mom got married in Mexico, he brought her back to Maine, which is kind of a shock to the system, I think, from living in Mexico all your life to moving to Maine uh, <clears throat> in the winter, I think. So anyway, this idea was hatched a few months ago that they were going to go to Maine and could we join? Yes. And the idea was also we would spread my dad's ashes, which is like, that sounds good. So this was the trip. So we went up to Maine. We drove up Sunday. Oliver loves hotels. And Julie didn't want to spend five and a half hours in a car, and neither did Oliver. So we got a hotel in Marlboro, Massachusetts, which is just on 495 outside of Boston. And it was this, like, nice new hotel. I mean, it was some Marriott of some kind, but it was new, which means it was facilities were great, and there was a pool, and Oliver loved it. And it was in one of those brand-new-ish, like, probably built in the last five years, shopping plazas. So... It's one of those things where it's all these fast food places and also like dine-in restaurants, but there's huge parking lots. But also since it's new, they kind of make it villagey, so there's sidewalks you can actually walk on. So I walked over to a random Italian place called Aviva Trattoria, which I noticed several others in Boston. So I guess it's some sort of mini chain. And I had a 617 beer by, I can't remember what local brewery, and um, got a wrap for dinner and that was nice it was just kind of nice to be in a hotel i like randomly staying in hotels so we did that on the way up we stopped in cheshire connecticut where i went to middle school and i just wanted to see my old place our old condo where we lived in my old school and we did that so that was nice and then we stopped on the way back so that will more to come on that but um so then monday morning we checked out of our hotel in massachusetts and we drove up to maine and i love going to maine and especially after last summer, I really feel just closer to the whole area. Um, so the first stop was we went to the Bitterford Mills Museum, which is a museum that opened in 2019. And it is located in the old Pepperell Mill, which is on the banks of the Saco River in between Bitterford and Saco. And this is about 10 miles south of Portland. Um, <clears throat> but this mill is one of those classic New England mills where it's like, you know, five-story high brick warehouses that are very, very long, and there's a whole almost city of them alongside a riverbank. And now they're kind of no longer where, no longer working mills, and they have things like dance studios and art studios in them, that type of thing, and coffee shops. So my dad used to work at this mill when he was in his 20s and I guess into his 30s. And from what I understand, his uncle, my great-uncle, who's a musician, also worked there. So that was his day job. And then some other in-law, which we can't even figure out the name of. But <clears throat> So we wanted to go see this place. Now, the reason we found this place even existed is because in clearing out our house in Cincinnati, we found all of these business post uh, purchase orders and business receipts all written on postcards all in the 19th century addressed to and from the mill in um, Biddeford. And throughout to various like New England company um, vendors and clients, 
acknowledging orders or acknowledging receipt of orders, this or that, all written in beautiful 19th century cursive script, uh, you know, letters from Springfield, Mass., uh, Providence, that sort of thing. And we didn't want to throw them out. So my, my brother-in-law in Cincinnati found this place online and was like, whoa, this is an actual museum. Uh, how perfect is this? And he gave them a call and they're like, we would love to have those cards. Can you stop by? So we all stopped by. And in fact, that is where we met up with my sister and my mom and the family was we were we all met at the museum <laughs> to drop off these postcards. And since this museum staff, all volunteer and all and like seven people, uh, mostly older, were having their staff meeting that very day by coincidence. Again, I got to meet the whole staff of the museum and we got a big tour into the bowels of the mill. And if you know anything about old mills like this, the bowels means it's like a movie. You're taken down, down, down underground. And then all of a sudden you're opened up into this chamber that's enormous. It's like the size of an arena, but like water, it's the, it's where water would like catch. And it's where these deep underground man-made lakes essentially. So we got this full tour. We donated stuff to the museum. I mean, just what a great experience. Biddeford Mills Museum. Um, and then after that, we went and checked into our Airbnb. We got a random Airbnb house in Portland in the Rosemont neighborhood, which if you know Portland, it's, it's, just to the northwest of the actual center of the city um so yeah we checked in took it easy that night and then the rest of the few days there we we did a lot we went to beach we went to crescent beach which is in cape elizabeth uh we drove my mom to kennebunkport because she always as a kid when we go go to maine from connecticut we would always drive through kennebunkport um because it's cute and that's about it it's cute boring and cute and so we drove her there we went to old orchard beach which is the town my dad grew up in and he grew up one block from the beach and so when you go to old orchard beach it's like coney island there's a pier there's a beach there's a amusement park carnival type amusement park right there um so we went there we looked at the old house that he grew up in that also my mom and he lived in when they got married Went on the pier, which is not the original pier, but it's it was rebuilt in the exact same dimensions of the old pier. So I could actually picture my grandfather um, and his big band, Rip Doucette, playing on this pier at the end of the pier way back in the 30s, playing big band music on Fridays and Saturdays, um, which is just wild to close your eyes and imagine. And... Um, my nephews from Cincinnati, who are like 10 and 13, they, they had a blast at the amusement park and the beach. And uh, let's see, that night, my brother-in-law and I went to uh, Bissell Brothers, which is on Thompson's Point. So we went to Bissell Brothers and had a couple of beers. And then our last full day in Maine, this was kind of the crux of the trip. We went to uh, spread my dad's ashes. So that was just me and my sister and my mom. And my brother-in-law drove us. But what was crazy is the night before, my mother decided she did not want to spread, spread all the ashes, just some of them, because she would bring the rest back to Cincinnati and spread them in the backyard, which is okay. Um, but that meant we had to actually transfer some ashes into a Ziploc bag. Um, and the bag they give you ashes in is like really professionally sealed. <laughs> so 
that was a project. And we went into the backyard of this Airbnb and there's a picnic table. The problem is we knew that the other units in this house were also Airbnbs. Uh, and we hadn't seen anyone in the 36 hours we'd been there until that night when just when we started to cut open this bag of ashes, people started going back and forth and they saw us and I had a light and I swear it looked like a drug deal. And we, I almost wanted to say like, this isn't drugs. It's just, uh, ashes, (laughs) human remains. There's nothing to worry about. But, um, yeah, like the only time we saw other people was during the three to four minutes that we transferred ashes from one bag to a Ziploc bag. Um, so not great timing, but what are you going to do? Uh, but then the next morning we went back to old orchard beach to the pier and the beach and people, the beach was already getting crowded, but somehow because of the way it worked with this sidewalk behind the beach and these dunes, like are the grass, you know, kind of like grass flowers behind the beach, no one's allowed to go in this area of grass and flowers just to, um, so that they don't get, you know, wrecked. And, and since the, the back of part of the amusement park goes up against the beach in that little area, it provided this perfect private area, which was in the center of everything with a gorgeous view, yet no one was walking by. It was almost as if it was built for our ash spreading purposes. So we spread the ashes and I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was like, hey, are we going to say anything? And my mom was like, I'll say something silently in my head. And I said, "Okay." And then I just opened up the bag and spread the ashes. And that was kind of it. And it was really beautiful. And my sister and I were just kind of beaming just because it was such a beautiful moment. And my mom was sad, but I could tell that she was pleased that it all kind of worked out well. I mean, it, it was like undeniably a beautiful location and moment so it all went well and then later that day she didn't realize that we had brought all the ashes and then she started she's very worrisome in general and she was like should we just spread all the ashes we should have spread all the ashes and I was like well we can always go back and spread the rest there and then she was like no we'll take them back and I was like okay you do whatever you want to do for me I'm happy that my dad is up there or at least part of him so that went well and then the final day what did we do the final day um let's see oh Well, after that, that was the final day. But after that, we went to Freeport um, because my mom wanted to go shopping because she used to go shopping in Freeport. So I dropped them off at the outlets um, like L.L. Bean, et cetera. Then I went to Maine Beer Company and I had a couple of little tasters and I bought some bottles. And then I went back up and I found Julie and Oliver and my mom and my sister. And while I was in L.L. Bean waiting for them, I bought myself a rain jacket. So now I'm excited for the fall. And... um, that was it. And then that night we took my mom for her birthday, which is coming up next week to scales, which is a restaurant that I went to last summer, uh, with Julie's side of the family when we were up there and scales is on, on a pier in the old port. And it's probably the kind of most upscale, nice seafood restaurant in Portland. Really nice. Um, very pricey, but it's worth it. You know, it's like a special event type place. So that was the trip. And every morning I went running along the Back Cove Trail, which if you know the Back Cove, it's a little body of water um, north of downtown Portland. There's a just great dirt trail, so I, I enjoyed running on that. I went to the Holy Donut several times. Uh, I got donuts the first night, first time I went. 
and I brought them back and they were very good. Mostly I just got their iced coffee, which I really thought was excellent. Um, <clears throat> that was the trip on our way back. Oliver wanted to stop again. So we were like, okay. Um, I made a stop at Treehouse and picked up beer at Treehouse in Charlton, Massachusetts. I'd never been there. I mean, it is this enormous beer campus and it's definitely a destination and you can see why. Uh, the building is new and very impressive and the beer is great. I mean, the main thing is like the beer is absolutely outstanding. So I brought back beer and cold brew coffee, which they also make. Thanks to my friend Greg for the tip on the cold brew. Um, and then we stopped in Cheshire again, again, my old town, my middle school years town. We went to the Barker cartoon comic and character museum, which is this cute little museum, which opened after I left as a kid, but it's like exactly what it says. It's just basically a toy and cartoon museum of the 20th century. And it is so cute. It's this little gem. And if you're ever driving through or nearby, I do recommend it. I'm not sure I would say someone to make a whole trip of it, but the Barker Museum on Route 10 in Cheshire. Um, so great. And then we went and played more mini golf. Oh, yeah, we played mini golf in Maine, too. And Oliver is addicted to mini golf right now. And he's very good, which is great. Uh, <clears throat> I, Julie and I think it comes from his father-in-law, uh, Julie's dad. Or his father-in-law, his um, grandfather, my father-in-law, Julie's dad, who is an excellent golfer. Um, so we played mini golf in North Haven, and then we went and had dinner at Modern A Pizza on State Street in North Haven, which is my favorite of the New Haven pizzerias. And then we spent the night at a random courtyard Marriott in Wallingford, and <laughs> that was kind of fun. And that was it, family vacation 2022. It all went well. Uh, the ash spreading, the driving... The almost getting sick the week before, or we did get sick the week before, but then recovered in time, etc., etc. So that's in the books. This podcast is now possibly the longest since the first few episodes, but I'll keep going quickly. I also listened to, well, I'll go through the books first. No, I'll go through the music. Here's what I've listened to in the past few weeks. I won't really talk about them too much because we're running so late here, but... Holy Diver by Dio, Ronnie James Dio. It got reissued. Um, it's a classic metal album, and it was great to listen to it again. Then I saw it got like some nine point something in Pitchfork, which is just kind of funny. Um, Loggerhead by Wulu, who's a Brixton rapper. Uh, I listened to it just to check it out. I mildly enjoyed it. Uh, it's not my thing, but it was. I thought it was good. From the New World, the new album by Alan Parsons. I didn't even know Alan Parsons had a new album until uh, my friend Rick Webb mentioned it. He's he's apparently an Alan Parsons super fan and has kept up. I have not kept up, but I really enjoyed this album. And it's funny. It ends with, um, I think it ends, or it's the second last song, with a very faithful cover of Be My Baby, which I was expecting this cover to be very Alan Parsons and spacey. No, it's just kind of like a faithful cover of Be My Baby. Um, I listened to The Other Side of Make Believe by Interpol. Fine enough record. I think with Interpol, it's like the records are all like pretty good. They're all like Bs. Um, but the only thing is there aren't any classic songs anymore like on those first two records. That's my personal take, but I enjoy listening to it. Uh, oh, here's maybe the highlight of this past few weeks. Earl's Closet, The Lost Archive of Earl McGrath. This is a, I think it's a light in the attic reissue, but Earl McGrath was some industry A&R dude, and he kept in his closet 
all of these like weird unreleased reels and masters of various famous artists, some before they got famous. And this is a compilation, I guess, overseen by Joe Hagen, the writer who also wrote the Jan Wenner biography last year. But oh, and I think Daryl Norson, my Internet friend, uh, did the art and design for it. But incredible record. So again, it's called Earl's Closet, The Lost Archive of Earl McGrath, 1970 to 1980. Um, <clears throat> my favorite songs on there are ones by artists like I kind of barely knew, but there's even like some Hollow Notes stuff that had never been released. Uh, let's see. Listen to Bird in the Ceiling by John Moreland, who is, I think, a North Carolina singer-songwriter. I feel like I've liked his previous albums more. Um, but if you get in a certain mood for introspective folk, this is a good one. I uh, listened to Waiting for Columbus by Little Feet, the new reissue, which, by the way, Daryl Norson did the art for the reissue, too. This is an expanded version of Waiting for Columbus, the famous Little Feet live album, and it's like four CDs worth, you know, or however you want to call that on streaming, but of live Little Feet shows from 77. And, I mean, just what a band. This is such an enjoyable record, the Waiting for Columbus reissue. Um into the Groove by Mickey Hart slash Planet Drum. This is the first Planet Drum album since the 90s. I think Mickey Hart, Planet Drum, when it comes to like making new music and maybe making quote-unquote new music even in, even live, Mickey Hart is by far the most successful forward-thinking member of like the Grateful Dead. Like This percussion album is absolutely fantastic. And if you've seen any Dead & Company shows recently, you know that like Drums in Space are just like they were in the 90s, maybe the best part of the show. And that's all Mickey. And I feel like Drums in Space currently at Dead & Company shows feels like it's in a place where if the Grateful Dead had never stopped and Jerry Garcia had lived and they kept playing and playing and playing, it would have evolved to where it is now anyway. Like it is, he's Mickey's not afraid of loops, of modern technology. And it's just like it's even dancier than it was back in the... 80s and 90s so yeah into the groove by mickey hart um and old time folks by lee baines and the glory fires lee baines is a southern artist i'd never listened to but my friends um steve and uh pete and matt especially steve especially have raved about him and it was good it's just like southern fried indie rock really liked it okay that's the music i actually think i'm probably forgetting some stuff but or i didn't write them down Books. I finished that book, Build, by Tony Fidel. It's kind of like a biz-type book. It's about product management and product stuff. And this is the guy. He worked on the iPhone team, the iPod team. He invented, he started Nest, that company. So Build by Tony Fidel. Pretty good, if you're interested, which I think most people would not be. But pretty good. Smoke Gets in Your Eyes by Caitlin um, Doughty. Or Doughty. Um, and she is, I guess, kind of an internet famous mortician, but this is about her getting a job at a funeral home starting at age 22 and just kind of like demystifies the whole funeral home process. And it was so weird. I was telling my friend Kara before I went for vacation that by coincidence, I was reading that book right before I was going to spread my dad's ashes. And I realized I had no idea how cremation even works until I read this book. Um, anyway. Great book. Very fast read. Oh, my gosh. It's 250 pages and reads way quicker than that. And 
Oh, The 90s by Chuck Klosterman. I finished The 90s by Chuck Klosterman. Great book, especially if you lived through the 90s, which I think most of us did. Uh, It was fun to read. I haven't read Klosterman in a while, so I was not, quote-unquote, sick of him. And um, he provides some pretty good insight. There were a couple of moments where I kind of disagreed, but, I mean, only in that, like, pub discussion, back-and-forth, you know, disagreement way. Like, nothing was, like, off-putting or anything. And it served to remind me of some of the details of these famous 90s events. Like, I'd forgotten the timeline of events with the um, Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas, um, the Clarence Thomas hearings, and just how uh, newly disgusted by Clarence Thomas. Oh, my gosh, what a loathsome figure. But anyway, the 90s by Chuck Klosterman. I recommend it. And um, I think with that, that will wrap up this episode uh yeah this has been episode 90 of the um conrad life report um a couple of quick ann arbor shout outs i want to shout out i'm looking at my notes i didn't mention when i talked about Stuart bogey playing with us before that we caught up and we're almost the same year from michigan u of m grads and he used to manage this band the bucket who were like the hottest band in ann arbor in the 90s college band and they basically played james brown style funk and if you are of a certain age and you remember that in the in like 94 or so there was a jb's box set that came out that just every other house in ann arbor seemed to be blasting all the time and the bucket very much were from that jb's james brown funk world stewart managed them he said he didn't play because he didn't play saxophone yet Uh, but he was also in a band called transmission with colin stetson who also went to Michigan and who I've discussed Michigan stuff with once after a national show many years ago. But so Colin and Stuart were in this band transmission and Colin, I think also played in arcade fire and a bunch of other crazy things. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, he told me some funny things about how like blind pig was a fun pl- place to play and Rick's, which is kind of like the bar in Ann Arbor that absolutely you could not get into with any type of fake ID and he talked about how Rick's was never the f- most fair venue with um, with paying artists. And uh, who knows? Maybe that's changed. This is like going back to the 90s. But everything he told me about these venues, I was like, that fits with what I would guess. <laughs> and then a final Ann Arbor shout out. I want to thank my friend Eric, uh, who went to Ann Arbor a couple of weeks ago. And he got me a Mr. Stadium coin laundry T-shirt from Mr. Stadium the famous uh, laundry place on the south side of town, which I think people that live down there went to. I never went to the stadium because I lived over on the east side, but um, it is a famous T-shirt. It's maize. It's blue with like the maize, you know, the yellow letters. Uh, so I'm very happy that it has become a favorite T-shirt of mine. Thank you, Eric, for that. Go blue. And this has been episode 90 of the Conrad Life Report. We're approaching 39 minutes here. Um, all right. Yeah, it is Tuesday. August 9th, 2022, by the window. It's very hot. Stay cool and talk to you next time.